It's movie time, and we're back again with movie time. Hey, everyone. How are you doing? Hopefully, you're doing really, really well. And welcome to Friday's edition of movie time. So, we had a great Wednesday episode with LeBron Artsy. And tonight, we have another incredible guest in Miss Deborah Moffat. And I'd like to introduce you first to my co-host, Arpo. How you doing? I'm doing good. Looks like my ceiling has been fixed and I'm no longer leaking. Woohoo! Excellent. And Kente, how you doing? I'm excellent. I'm happy to be here to chop it up. And we also have Olaf with us. How you doing, Olaf? I am doing great. I was like excited about the tonight's show. Yeah. And I'm all excited about it, too, because it's like we have our incredible guest, Miss Deborah Moffat. How are you doing, Deborah? I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. And now, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to being an author and about the book Unwelcome? Well, it really started back in 1987, and that is when my family was, say, haunted or attacked by a demon. And it, that lasted for nearly eight years. After it happened, we promised each other we would never talk about it again because we were brainwashed into thinking that if you spoke about it, you'd bring it back. So we just kind of took it out of our lives, never spoke about it. Well, my mother-in-law died a few years ago, and my husband and I discussed, oh, how we should write a book about it. And then he died in 2012, and... I decided after finding some pictures that he had put away that we took back during that time to to let people know what had happened because it was the most amazing eight years of my life. Even though it was a terrifying time, it was amazing. And it started out so innocently too, as it, well. It did. When it first started happening, it almost like it drew you in. It was like it, it did things that were like, absolutely amazing to me and but my husband and mother-in-law were, were frightened right from the beginning it would move things uh, we were renting out a house next door to where we lived and we'd go into the house and the first time we came in something from the living room was in a different room and we thought oh the tenant that had lived there last just moved something before he left mm -hmm. went into the kitchen came back out and furniture from one room was put into a different room in a matter of seconds. It was wow. like, this can't be happening. You know, it's like, you think that this isn't real. But it did. And it was like, you'd say, if anything is here with me, move something. But it would never move it in front of you. You had to leave, come back. You could come back in five seconds, and something would be moved. And that's how it started out. It started out not being threatening, but being kind of like doing tricks. And it kind yeah. of works you in. And at what point in time, though, it's like, and I know that from the book, it's like, it's like it just started getting progressively worse and worse. Yeah, it did. It uh, the first, well, the first thing that we thought, because we can't prove this actually happened, when we rented out the the house next to ours again. Uh huh. People that moved in were a couple, an older gentleman, a younger woman, and they seemed very happy when they first moved in. And about a month later, I noticed when she came out of the house, she was black and blue, like he'd been abusing her. And uh, the next time I saw him, I hadn't seen her in a while. 
I asked where she went, and he said, oh, she just left. Well, within a week, he left. Just wow. packed up and left. And like a week after that, or two weeks after that, a gentleman came to their door and knocked. I went over and said, you know, they're not here anymore. They moved. And he said to me, well, did you hear what happened? The girl's name was Michelle. Did you hear what happened to Michelle? And I said, no, I have no idea. She just left. And he said, no, they found her body in a uh, garbage dump, a landfill. Wow. And the strange thing was, we were missing a big brown throw rug. And he just said she was wrapped in a big brown rug when they found her. So, but my husband, who was a fanatic about the news, he never read anything about it or in the newspapers or on TV. So I don't actually know if that happened or not. But that's just what the gentleman told me. But that was actually the first inkling we had that something bad could be could be brewing there. Um, we, were, we were planning on moving from that location anyway to a larger house, selling the houses there and move to a larger location. And my husband and mother-in-law were very happy because things started being moved in the house we were living in. Things that would always be turned backwards, pictures backwards, statues backwards. And then amazing things start happening, which we didn't even know what they were called at the time, a ports. Things from one house would be taken and put on my mother-in-law's. She had like a little uh, altar next to her bed. She was very religious. And things would be put on that altar without anybody physically putting them there. They would just appear. So things like that were happening. Uh, so we decided to move. Well, like a week before we were moving out, everything stopped and everything was quiet. And we thought, you know, it was like it was like waiting for something to happen. But we were happy. We were moving. My mother-in-law and I were the last ones in the house to, to uh, pack up one last box. When we were in the bedroom, we heard like this crash from the kitchen. We went into the kitchen, and this entity or whatever it was had pulled, just ripped the cupboards from the walls, just ripped them. They were in wow. the floor. While we were in the kitchen, we heard glass breaking. We went back towards that room. He had blown out all the, all the windows in the bedroom. So my mother and I just quickly left, got into the car, went up to the new house. So at that point, it was like he started to show his true colors, that he wasn't this nice, friendly, doing tricks for you person. He was someone who could really be violent. And it intended a lot of harm, especially towards your mother-in-law. Yes. When we moved up to the new house, see, down there, it didn't threaten anyone. You know, it wasn't saying anything. It was just those last two acts of aggression that made us think, you know, this is bad. Good thing we're getting away from it. Little did we know that wherever we went, it went with us. I mean, sometimes people say, well, why didn't you just move out of the next house? Because we had moved once. It followed us. If we would go out to dinner, it would come with us to dinner. We'd come home, and we'd find the name tags from the people that waited on us at the restaurant sitting on the kitchen table. Or we'd find things from the restaurant back at the house to show us that, look, I'm with you. So we couldn't, wow. we couldn't get away from him. He was, he was attached to my mother-in-law. When we got up to the new house for like three weeks, nothing happened. We thought, oh, he's it's gone. We moved. We got away from him. Then started with the same thing. A picture was turned backwards. And from that moment on, for the next seven years, it tormented us. It held, actually it almost held us prisoner here. Uh, it wanted my mother-in-law dead. Uh, I'll explain how we knew this, because what it did was 
my mother and father-in-law had the upstairs. It's like, it's a, it's a big house. And they had the master suite upstairs. We had the master suite downstairs. And she was cleaning her bathroom. And all of a sudden, she, I heard her scream. I ran upstairs, and she showed me the mirror up in her bathroom. And on the mirror was written, I, I'm trying to think what the first one would talk to me. I think it was the very first thing. And it was written in soap across the mirror, talk to me. And I said, well, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I said, you know, what's this? She said, I had just left the mirror from cleaning the bathroom. I came back in. No one is up here. And this is written on the mirror. Well, wow. from, from that time on, he had the ability to communicate with us through writing on the mirror. He also, during this time, I mean, he destroyed the house. He would gouge, I mean, literally gouge in the walls, symbols. Especially one symbol he did all the time. It was a triangle, and at the bottom of the triangle was a tail. And he did this symbol like in nearly every room. He cut it into the rugs. He gouged it into the walls, the front door, everywhere. So every day became a, uh, a you get up, you try to patch what he destroyed. By the next day, it would be destroyed again. Now, Deborah, this is Kente, and uh, you seem like a, a wonderful lady, um, but... Um, if this guy, if this spirit was following you, were people in your life afraid of you coming by, like for a cocktail party, like you might bring them to their house? Yeah. Here's what happened. My mother-in-law was petrified of this. She said, you know, we're not going to tell people what's going on because they're either going to think we're nuts, which you can understand if you're explaining this to people, especially back in the late 1980s. It isn't like it is now when they have all these programs, and people kind of understand the paranormal more than they did back then. So people back then were, you're just a little crazy. Or, or then she had it in her head, maybe they would think that one of us was causing this, we were evil or something. So she refused to talk to anyone about it. So that isolated us. And then we would start like going to visit friends, very rarely, and Mr. Entity would do something at the friend's house. Like we went to visit my mother-in-law's friend, and he took the man's wallet. So when we left his house, sitting on our kitchen table when we got home, was the gentleman's wallet. Now, how are we going to explain to this gentleman that we just visited him, and he no longer has his wallet, but we have it? Yeah. You know, he put us in situations that made it impossible for us to be with people. So we did become, we became very isolated. And then it even got to the point that if he didn't want us to leave the house, he would make the cars so you couldn't use the cars. You had to ask him, I would say to him, this was later on, I would say, we have to use the car today. And he'd say, he'd write on the mirror, for you, I'll let you use the car, but tomorrow I'm going to break the windshield. And the next day, he'd break the windshield. I mean, it was, we were like prisoners. Finally, my entity, through this whole thing, writing on the mirror, he would constantly say that he wanted Lee dead. Lee die, Lee die, all the time. All the time he would say this. Uh, one time my father-in-law asked him what his name was. Now he would write on the mirror, never in front of you. It's not like you could go in and talk. You talk to the mirror. You'd go in and look at the mirror and you'd yeah. ask questions. But you had to leave the bathroom and come back in before the message would be on the mirror. And he could write two mirrors full within seconds. Wow. So, so I, I take it at some point you found out like maybe who he was and then why he was, you know, so, you know, yeah. against it, it. I remember my father-in-law asking him, who are you? 
and he wrote, I am Prince. You were to call me Prince. So that's what he wanted us to call him, which I refused to do. Um, during this time, my mother and father-in-law, they had a very strange relationship. My, my mother-in-law was brought up Italian, so the man of the house could do no wrong. But my father-in-law wasn't a very nice man. And he was, very, he was actually cruel to my mother-in-law. But she put up with it because she thought that she had to. Uh, well, the entity, you know, he just wanted her dead, wanted her dead. And he would do everything to her. He destroyed her clothing. He, she couldn't carry a wallet. He would cut everything up in her wallet. He made her like a non-human. I mean, she couldn't, she had no, no life. She, she, one time he took one of every one of her shoes. So she only had one shoe or she had to wear shoes that didn't match if she went somewhere. I mean, it got to that point. It was driving her crazy. To the point, finally, where she relented and said, well, we have to, we have to tell every, somebody because somebody's got to help us. But and, and and this I'm sure you 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 were told this you know as you started consulting with people at the time this is classic demon behavior they want you to be cut off they don't want you to to be able to leave the house wow. they need to have you there because they are feeding off of your fear and I I just want to take a moment to say what a remarkably brave person you had to have been. All the times that you stood up to this entity when everybody else around you was just terrified, you were the one that would actually get the entity to agree to lay off of a specific person or uh, allow you and your family to do something. Uh, you were the only one who showed no fear, and I think, in a way, the entity... You know, that gave you a little edge of power over him. You know, I don't, you know, it was, it was not like I'm a hero. What it was is you're put into a situation where sometimes you don't have a choice. I couldn't yeah. have him hurt my mother-in-law. I love mm -hmm. my mother-in-law. I really did. She was wonderful. My husband, he had a bad heart, so he couldn't be the defender. My child, my father-in-law, I really didn't care too much about. But I wasn't going to let anyone hurt them. And since I was the only one in the house, I wasn't afraid of it. Don't ask me why. I knew it couldn't hurt me. I knew it couldn't hurt me. Mm -hmm. So I just knew it. So I knew it. God had my back. So mm -hmm. I just said, "No, you're not. You're not going to hurt him." Oh. So that's not that I. It's not that I wanted to be like that. I had no choice. Well, uh, for me, that's the abs. You know, that's one of the purest definitions of courage. When you're for frightened but you have no choice so you go and you do what you have to do anyway yeah it was it was a terrifying time um, one of the things you, you wonder about is why he wanted my mother-in-law dead and it started like this this is how I found out he attacked my we were in the kitchen he attacked my mother-in-law on the pantry turned the light out locked the door when she went to get something and he started to strangle her and we heard the commotion we tried to get in the pantry couldn't get in then all of a sudden the door opened. She was on the ground. Um, we picked her up. She had like bruises around her throat. At that time, I got really angry with the entity. So I went into the mirror. By this time, we had all moved together into the back bedroom, the master suite. We were in there downstairs and Mr. Entity took over the upstairs. He had the whole upstairs. You could even, if you started to go up the steps, you could feel this like oppression going up the steps. So we just left the upstairs, it became his. 
So we moved into the back bedroom. He would talk. He then started writing in the bathroom downstairs in the hall, the guest bathroom. So that's where he did all his writing. Uh, I went in there and I said to him, this is, I can't, you, you're not going to hurt her. This is the way it's going to be. You're going to show me respect. I'm going to show you respect. But you're not to harm my husband. You're not to harm my child. And you're not to harm Lee. And I left the bathroom. I went back in and he wrote back, I will not touch the child. I will not touch your husband. But Lee belongs to me. So I asked him, yeah. why does Lee belong to you? Why do you think she belongs to you? And for the next hour, he wrote out a story for me. And it had to do with, he was, this was back like in the 15 or 1600s. It happened in a monastery in France. And he had control of some of the monks in the monastery. And they were going to do a blood ritual sacrifice for him. And Lee was a nun, and she was the one that was going to be sacrificed. And something happened, and the sacrifice didn't come to fruition. So she was saved. So Mr. Entity said it didn't matter that it didn't happen then. She was promised to him, and she belonged to him. And he came now to claim her. So that was why wow. he was after her. Wow. Now, also during the time period, you guys had a chance to uh, uh, to research at all where he actually came from? You know, the, like I said, there wasn't the internet, things going on there. I looked to libraries. We tried to find people. Um, we went to psychic fairs to look for people to try to help. Um, we had people, all kinds of people come. We had uh, witches come to the house. Mr. Entity, he would laugh at them. I mean, he would write funny things about them on the mirror when they left. And then he would take whatever they left in the house. Like the Wiccan came and she brought candles and incense and things. He took all the stuff that she brought and threw it in our swimming pool. I mean, it meant like nothing to him. Uh, we had, we talked to someone, UCLA, I think it was, or USD. Uh, oh. Thelma Moss, who at that time was, unfortunately she wasn't well. And she uh, sent us Kerry uh, Gaynor, who was a researcher at the time, and he came and we told him everything that was going on. He conducted a seance upstairs. He wouldn't let any of us go there. And then he said, had some kind of story about a ghost wanted revenge or something. It made no sense. And he said, well, he said, well, it'll stop now. And But it wasn't going to stop. He left and Mr. Entity said he was a fool. So and then more researchers came. Uh, we even had Ed and Lorraine Warren, the demonologist, came. Oh, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. They came. They were very nice. They were coming out to California, and they said they would come. So they came, and they were very nice. I mean, I we didn't. We, they were here for about three days. They wouldn't stay in the house. We had to put them up at a hotel. But uh, they were nice. They they talked to each one of us separately. Got what was going on when Lorraine first came. She. Uh, she, she came in through the front door, walked down the little hall, and we had a large toy box over in the corner. And as she was walking down the hall, the toy box flew out in front of her and blocked her way. Very rarely did this entity do anything in front of you. It was always when your back was turned or when you closed your eyes. So to see that happen was something. Uh, we pushed that away. She came in. We all sat at the table with the Warrens. She left. She said, I'm going to go through the house and see what this is. And so we just talked to Ed Warren, who was a very nice man, very personal. And she went through the house, she went upstairs, she came back down, and she said to, to Ed, she said, this is one of the worst demons I have ever come in contact with. 
It is so powerful and it's ancient. It's very, very ancient. And from that point, they Ed said we should have a right of provocation. So that evening he did a right, right of provocation. And my mother-in-law stayed in the kitchen. She didn't want to come in with, and she was with my child. So they were together in the kitchen. In the room was my husband and Ed and Lorraine Warren, another researcher and somebody that was filming everything. Yeah. Father-in-law. And my father-in-law was sitting next to me. <coughs> Excuse me. And what Ed was doing, the right of provocation, when he was dead, when he was dead, when he was done, uh, my father-in-law stood up. But when he stood up, it's not that he looked like a different person facial-wise. You know, you know what I mean? It was still my father-in-law. Yeah. But his features changed. His back curved. He kind of curved over. His one arm kind of like, like he had a stroke, went up to his chest, curved up to his chest. And he yeah. started walking towards Ed with his head down and dragging one leg. And he went right up in front of Ed Warren and looked him in the face. And Ed Warren got kind of spooked. And he took out something that he had. And he said, this is a uh, sacred object. He said, it's a piece of the cross. You can't harm me. And I remember in a voice that was my father-in-law's, but wasn't my father-in-law's. It had different different tone, but it was still my father-in-law's voice. Yeah. Bite your hand off, chew your hand in that piece of wood up and spit it in your face. And then he, they just looked at each other. And my father-in-law then turned around, went back and sat down on the couch. And, wow. And went back to normal. I mean, it was... It was it was just unreal. It was just unreal. And they did also try uh, rituals in terms of trying like the sage uh, burning as well. We had. Uh, this is the only like time months. I actually can say I saw Mr. Entity. And even when I tell you I saw him, I didn't see him. I saw something he took to make him supposedly look like what he looked like. We had yeah. two uh, Native Americans come. They were shamans. Mm-hmm. And very nice. They were nice people, too. The majority of the people that came were nice people who tried to help. Yes, there were some charlatans, but most of the people were just nice. They came. They went upstairs. They asked me to go with them. Everybody else in the family stayed down at the kitchen table. I went upstairs with them. That's where Mr. Entity, that was his domain then. Um, we went up the steps. They went around the upstairs with shells, with sage in them, with feathers. They went through each room chanting something. Went all through it. Then they opened up the door at the top of the stairs, which goes into the attic. And the gentleman, I think it was Red, Red Feather, said he's, he's in there. So they opened the door, and they, he stood in front of the door, and they made the, the sage go into the, to the room. You could see the smoke just going in. And they pushed it in, and a second later, it, it, it was like he blew it out. It all come right back out again. Yeah. He did that two or three times. Finally, they said, we have to go in. So they went in, and I stood right at the doorway watching. And he said, I'm going to, he said to me, I'm going to make him show himself. And he did something and said some type of chant. And on the walls up in the, in the attic, there's like um, insulation, and it was pink on uh-huh. the walls. And as I stood there watching, the pink insulation, insulation came down from the walls and formed into this huge head, like a five-foot head. Right in front of me. Now it was to the. I could only see the side view. I didn't see the front of the face. Just the side. And it was yeah. this huge head with this big strong jaw, a big strong nose. You couldn't see the eyes. It was just openings here. And on the side of his head, instead of an ear where the ear was, was a horn. But it started to 
it went it was like here and then it started to go like in a circle up and then up and around on top of his head so i could just see the side view and i remember just just looking yeah. at it and i just couldn't believe what i was saying and then within a matter of seconds probably 30 seconds it just dissipated and kind of the pink just fell to the ground so if that's what he looked like i don't know or if that's just what how he wanted to portray at the time but that's what he he showed us you know, before all of this stuff started happening, what was your take on these events when you would hear about it in either movies or maybe hear someone else's uh, stories that were similar? Uh, did you believe in it before or well, did this make you, know, you a believer? Funny. I loved monster movies and scary movies, but to me, they were make believe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's okay to get scared when you know it's not real because, you know, it can't really hurt you. You know, it's, it's not real. So when I came here, I... And these things show showed to be real. It was like it just changes the way you think about everything. When you see things happen that you've been taught that can't happen, that that this can't be happening. This isn't real. This is make believe, but it's not make believe. It does happen. And and every day I was talking to an entity in a mirror that I couldn't see who was writing to me every day. He didn't write once or twice. He wrote from the time we got up to the time we went to bed. And you'd have to clean the mirror. I found out if I, you know, some people say, well, why were you talking to him? i tell you why. Because if I kept him in conversation and kept him talking, he didn't go after my mother-in-law or destroy the house as much. It was like a trade-off. He used his energy to communicate and he liked to communicate. Was there any, so was, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. He liked to communicate. So I would go in and I would race the mirror and I would talk to him and it'd be like all through the day, back and forth talking to him. But it, it was, it, it served a purpose, two purposes, really. It saved the house, it saved my mother-in-law. <clears throat> and you know what? It was so interesting and fascinating to talk to. Now, who knows if he told me the truth every time? You don't know if they tell you the truth. Everything that he told me, yeah. I looked up and it did what he said. He told me about uh, different historical people that he had been involved with. He told me all different kinds of things. So he actually was interesting. When he wasn't being this horrible demon that wanted to hurt people, there was this intelligent being that communicated. He spoke all languages. My mother-in-law was very intelligent. She spoke Italian, she spoke Spanish, she spoke English, and she also spoke a, an old dialect from Albania called Obresh. So <laughs> my husband spoke it also. So she decided that she was tired of the entity always. At first he would just comment on things we said before I got into conversations with him. So she was tired of him doing that. So she started to talk to my husband in Tobresh, thinking that the entity wouldn't know what she was saying. But then the entity started to, to speak to her right in the mirror and Tobresh back, answering her. And then she tried Spanish, and it spoke Spanish. She tried Italian, it spoke Italian. So th this being, I don't know what its limits were. Because yeah. it seemed like no matter what way we turned, he was he was still there. Now, now let me ask you this. Um, during this period of time when all this was happening, was there ever, uh, did you, where did you get any peace at? I mean, when you went to like maybe a McDonald's or something, he wasn't like with you there. I mean, like, right? Oh, yeah. He would go with us everywhere. We never left without him. You mean you would go to like a fast food joint and he'd be sitting there with you? He, we, we couldn't see him. And we'd go through the drive-thru, we'd get home, and oh, name wow. tags would be on the, on the table from people that waited on us. It was oh, like saying, see, I was with you. Here's the guy's name. 
or we went to a pizza place once for pizza, and he brought home a pizza pie plate with the with the the triangle spatula thing. So, and it was just his, I don't know if he thought that was amusing to show us that wherever we went, we went, or he was just trying to intimidate us, saying, see, you can't get away from us. We're here. So I don't know. And the thing is, I, people that came, everyone that came had a different theory. It's a mm -hmm. It's, it's a, a deity from another dimension. Uh, every, everybody had, but no one could get rid of it. No one. They would say it's too, well, too powerful. We can't get rid of it. Mm. Was there a time yeah. that you felt that you that it's like you could be actually if you had enough information that you might have been able to get rid of it sooner? I always I never gave up hope. You can't give up hope because if you get up hope, you lose. And I wasn't going to lose. You just keep thinking there's somebody out there to help you, and this is going to end. And that's how you just keep doing it, and you keep looking. And we did. Uh, we finally had a lady that came. Her name was Dr. Evelyn Paglini, and she was actually other famous she she had came from a kind of negative background when she was younger she actually was a lady that was part of the satanic church in chicago from with anton levey when they she was one of the ones that started that with him but she broke apart from him and i guess i don't want to say reformed but changed the way she thought about things when he came out to california and she you know she was trying to help now she had a different philosophy in life so she came and I thought if anyone can get rid of this, it would be her. Because she came in the house, and she had this presence about her. You know, like when someone comes in, she was like the white knight. She was going to come in, and she was going to take care of everything. But even she couldn't do it. He, he, all he did was make fun of her. And he would say to her, don't lie. He started to refer to us as his family. He'd say to people, don't lie to my family. Don't hurt my family. So he, it, it was very strange. And one of the investigators that came tried to find out how this got here. Because everybody, we all wonder, well, how is it here? How did it get here? Well, what did they think what happened was uh, back in, I think it was 1984, my mother-in-law's mother lived in the house next door. Uh -huh. she, she had a stroke. And she hired a uh, housekeeper from Guatemala who practiced evidently Santeria. And she didn't want it. My mother-in-law's mother was dying. And she didn't want her to die. This is this is only hearsay, you know. It's hearsay and and just people thinking this maybe could have happened. Uh, when my mother-in-law went up to the house when Juanita left, in the corner she found broken rosary beads, melted candles, blood, feathers, and that's. And when we told this to the to the researchers, they uh, surmised that she was practicing their Santeria, not in a, trying to be an evil way, trying to hurt anybody. But to try yeah. to keep mother-in-law alive, my mother-in-law's mother alive, and by doing this, she opened some type of door. And evidently, this entity had been looking for my mother-in-law for a long time, and he found her. Now, maybe that's the way it happened. Maybe it's not. But that's well, just... And, yeah, and any form of invocation is a form of invitation, and there are demons, and they will take advantage of that, even if that's not who or what she was trying to summon mm -hmm. she you know she managed to create a way for that demon to get in there and then he found what he wanted right although he also could have been lying about the right. whole sacrifice thing but I, I you know i don't know i don't think so there demons are such notorious liars that it's really hard to know you know separate truth from right. what they're just telling you 
that right I, you wouldn't know you don't know if it's real or not but so it went like when dr Biglini comes she couldn't get rid of it and she suggested she had a different suggestion on it she really thought that sooner or later my mother-in-law was going to die from this she said to go upstairs take one room the bedroom and empty the furniture and she said give dedicate this room to the entity tell him and then start to pay him homage if you'll do this he won't hurt lena and he and we said we're not going to pay homage to a demon you know we'll fight the demon but we're not paying homage to him so she said well it's not that i want you to i just didn't want lena anything to happen to lena she didn't say it because she wanted us to do that she was just trying to find ways to keep my mother-in-law safe and yeah. And yeah. from that point, when she left, this is another strange thing that happened. Uh, this was during this time, all this time, like I said, he was writing, we would be getting a <coughs> She would report all kinds of things to the house <laughs> knives. My mother in law would be sitting, or she'd be walking by, and all of a sudden a knife would be in the wall next door. And these were knives that weren't our knives. We actually had a box, and we would just throw all these knives in the box. That's how many knives there were. Constantly knives. This one night, we were all in the back bedroom sleeping. Laying with my husband and I were just reading, and my father-in-law jumps up, and like yelps. And I remember we ran over to him, and he said, "Oh my goodness!" And he looked under the covers, and at his feet was a spearhead, and it was metal, and it was about 17 inches long. It was ornate because it had decorations on it, like different kinds of. It was actually kind of in its own way very pretty, but you could see it was handmade, hand forged, and. Mm -hmm. I remember I took it away from my father-in-law because I knew if I had this, nobody could touch it. Mr. Entity would not touch my things. If my mother-in-law was near me, Mr. Entity wouldn't get near me, get near her. Okay. So I took control of this, this dangerous weapon. And I remember I went into the bathroom, and on the bathroom mirror, he had written that he had brought that for my father-in-law to, to, to do a blood ritual on my mother-in-law. And he wrote out step-in-step -step instructions of what he wanted done, different things he leaves and different things he wanted mixed and things he wanted done. And I remember at that time, I said, you're not hurting my mother-in-law and you're not having your blood ritual. And he got so mad that he blew out every window on the top floor of the house. Wow. I mean, wow. it was just, it was like a boom and every window broke on the top floor. And I, I took that spear and I hit it. And I, I have it to this day, because when I have it, he can't have it and he can't use it. So, and I, he, and I asked him why it had to be this spear. And he, I won't even talk about why, but he told me what this spear can do. And it can't, the, the spear can't be out there. I mean, it's, I don't want anyone to have it. So. Mm -hmm. Did so you, I, did you save the instructions that he had written on the mirror to show no. to anybody because it might have given a hint as to his origin or exactly or what he was yes. but on the by, by the same token if it gave too much information about the spear then i can understand you not wanting other people to know he yes but i we didn't save it for this reason we we must have had 50 people during this maybe more than that come to the house during this time and it was like a roller coaster one person would come, they would say, document everything that's happening. Take pictures, write notes, so that the researchers know what's going on. So we would do that. And then that person couldn't get rid of it. 
So we'd call in somebody else. The next person would say, oh, no, get rid of all the notes, destroy the pictures. By doing this, you're keeping it here. So we would throw everything away and destroy things. So and then the next one would come and say, bring. So through the years, it was like some days we'd have notes, some days we didn't. But my husband, he, he, collect, he wouldn't throw things everything away. And what he would do, he would save some of the pictures. He didn't save them all, but he had a box. And I guess he threw parts of the pictures in because when he died, I found in the uh, closet a box, hidden box. And there was like over 300 pictures that we had taken during that time of what had happened. Now, there, some of the pictures aren't great because back then you didn't have a, like a digital camera where you could take the picture and then, oh, this didn't come out right, I'll take another one. You took a picture and you hoped when it was developed it was right. Because on the, especially on the mirror, you had to clean it quickly because if he didn't have a space to write on that mirror, he was going to write it on the walls. So, mm -hmm. so, that, so that's why we have, I have some evidence, like I have some of the reports he brought me and the, the spear, which is the most important, and pictures, over 300 pictures that are absolutely fascinating. And one of the pictures, he has this big wheel. It's like a wheel with spokes. And on all the, the, the spokes are different names. And then under the, under the, the, the wheel within is the name Bal, B-A-A-L. And that was one of the pictures I, I remember remembering that. So I remember that day when that happened, even though it was so long ago. Certain things would just click. I, I, bet I, I bet I forgot so much, but certain things I just remember. Now, okay, but when everything, when it first started and you started, first started noticing things happening and then you start, uh, you were starting to maybe see if somebody could help you or not. Did you ever try some of the things like, you know, where you see porn salt or hanging garlic or yes. things like that? Did you, um, tried, did you try tried, stuff like that? Yes, we tried salt. We tried crosses over all the openings. We tried, people came, went through the house with a cleaning. We had, we had a priest come. We went to the Catholic church. My mother-in-law was Catholic. She went to the church. A priest came. He, he, when she, we didn't tell him what was going on. We wanted to get him to the house and then tell him what was going on. This was near the beginning when he started at the house. We wanted him to cleanse the house, to bless each room. So he came and then we were gonna tell him what was happening. He walked into the foyer, the front, when he first came in and he stopped. And he just kind of looked around, and he took out a holy water, and he made the sign of the cross. And he said, okay, your house is blessed. I have to leave. And I remember my mother-in-law grabbing him by the arm and saying, no, no, you don't understand. Don't you have to go to every room and bless each room and, and clean the house out because we're having problems? And he said, no, no, nothing's happening here. He said, I have to leave. And I remember I said to him, no, something is happening. And he looked at my mother-in-law, and he said, when ladies get this old, they go a little crazy and he, he ran out the door to his to his car and never heard from him again wow. wow can i let me ask you so when when you when you would try some of this stuff i mean it was he talking to you then and yes. laugh at you like oh, you, no, I, you know. used to say you're fools you're just fools and then i remember one time we would go shopping and he would we went shopping and my mother thought she was in front of me with a basket and mr entity had filled we, uh, she, she bought some things, and then when she was taking the things out to put on the counter, underneath were like 25 knives that he had put in the in the push cart when she was driving. And I remember, I couldn't believe that where all the knives came from. <laughs> then another time, my my husband and I went to a bookstore to buy some 
picture books and some magazines, and I went to pay for everything, and there were a couple paperback books there that I didn't pick out. Well, I thought my husband threw them in the basket, so I paid for them and brought them home. And when I got home, I said to my husband, here's your books. He said, they're not my books. And then I went into went by to talk to Mr. Entity because I had to talk to him, and he wrote, I want you to read those two books. And he even gave me the pages he wanted me to read in them. But you know, I can't remember what the names of those books were. It's like it's completely blank. But I remember reading them because he, he told me, read these and you'll understand more. But I just I just can't remember what they were. But I remember I even have a picture of it on the on the mirror that's saying, read both books. But I just can't remember what they were. Because that was a long time ago. Um but, oh go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. So like with the with the spear, he he kept pushing for, for for a blood ritual. That's what he wanted. He said he had to have a blood ritual. He told me why. I know why. I don't discuss it. But he wanted his blood ritual. He even said that we could perform it on somebody else other than my mother-in-law as long as we'd give him the blood. So. Wow. Now, now um, I have a question for you. This is Kente once again. Um, mm -hmm. Now, is he still with you? And if if not, how'd you get rid of him? And if he is still with you, are we in danger of him coming through Skype and getting us? Mr. Mr. Entity left uh, over 25 years ago. And he, when he left, uh, and there's been nothing since, how he finally left is my father-in-law, Dr. Paglini said that my father-in-law had such bad feelings for my mother-in-law that he actually wanted the entity to stay. He would even go in sometimes and talk to the entity. I caught him one time. And the entity even wrote wrote on the mirror to me. He's he's wiping the mirror so you don't know what I say. But he he wanted he wanted he was encouraging the entity to hurt my mother in law. Dang. So then I had to start protecting my, my mother in law from my her husband and the entity. Finally, thank goodness she came to her senses and had him leave. Now when he left, the entity stayed. It's not like the entity left when he left. But the entity then concentrated more on communicating. Than it did after Lee. It was like, yes, every day would say, Lee die, Lee die, I want Lee dead. But I could kind of keep talking to him and, and make him forget about it and just talk. So it, it got, then we had another inv investigator that came to the house that actually moved in here. And Mr. Entity just hated this man. He would call him all kinds of names. He destroyed his clothes. When the gentleman left, he left in a pair of little shorts and a shirt that we got him from the used clothes <coughs> place because that's the only clothes he had left. Mr. Entity had destroyed them all. But when he left, this is what happened. This man, um, he was a researcher, he wrote books, but he was kind of down and out. He kind of, let's say that he was a failure. And he got in, he, would, he told me, I, I can't believe how powerful this, this entity is. And he would see how the entity would communicate. So he said to me, do you think, because he was going to England, he was going to start fresh in England. He said, do you think if I ask the entity to come with me, that I will work with him, that he would give me some kind of life and make me powerful like him? And I remember saying, don't, don't even think about something stupid like that. He said, well, I'm, I'm going to tell him that he can come with me. So this gentleman went in and said to Mr. Entity, uh, I'm leaving. I'm giving you permission to come with me. And Mr. Entity wrote on the mirror, uh, I, no, I, and I went in afterwards, I, that was it, and I said, okay, Mr. Entity, you can leave now because this man said you can go with him, you have some place to go, it's time to go. There's this house, my mother and I, mother and father, 
my father-in-law's gone, everybody here, we just love each other. And that's all that's going to be here. It sounds hokey. said, all that's going to be here is love. I said, and you don't want to be here, so go with Gary. And he wrote, no, I want to stay here with you. And I said, you have to go. So then he wrote on the mirror, I said, why don't you want to go with Gary? And he wrote, he's an empty vessel. He has no integrity. He has no honor. And I always think, and I'm thinking about that even now, why would an entity or a demon care if, if, if to go with this person because he thought he was stupid and an empty vessel and had no integrity and honor? Why would that even matter to a demon? You know, I really don't know what was here. Was it a demon? I don't know what it was. No one has ever said to me, this is what was here. But uh -huh. I went to Mr. Entity and I said, Mr. Entity, you have to go. I said, you have a place to go, you have to go. So the day Gary was leaving, I, I, the, he hadn't talked the whole night, Mr. Entity. The next day, he, Gary left, and on the mirror was written, goodbye, my family. And from that time, Mr. Entity, he's never been back. Never, I've never had any contact with him. Amen. It was over 25 that. years ago. Amen to that. Wow. Did he then wind up sticking with, uh, with Gary? Uh, I kept in contact with Gary, because Gary... Gary was a, wasn't a, he didn't have any integrity. He wasn't an empty vessel, but he stuck by us when we went through a lot of this stuff. So I felt certain loyalty to him. Uh -huh. And he told me when he first left, the apartment he went to, Mr. Entity had wrote a triangle with a tail over the door. But after that, Gary told me Mr. Entity left. He said after that, there was nothing. And Gary never became popular. Gary never had anything in his life. He's, he lives in Spain now. And he's, he, I mean, he's not nothing special. Mr. Entity didn't do anything for him. And Mr. Entity disliked him so much, I don't believe he stayed with him. I don't think, I really don't think he did. So, but we've had no contact. Nothing has happened to this house. We live in the same house. It's a safe house. I love the house. It's our house, our home. And I'm very happy here. I wonder if uh, no, Mr. Mr. Entity never saying that uh, Gary had no integrity and no, no integrity and no honor and didn't want to go with him is I wonder if it was like people wouldn't believe in him or it just wouldn't give him the power that he wanted and that's why he didn't want to go with him but still did go with him you know I don't know I don't, there's so many things I just don't know you know I did say Goodbye. Goodbye, my family. That was it. You know, me and Olaf will never be haunted because uh, we have no integrity or honor. So <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're safe. Um, uh, you know, I had to throw you yeah, in there, like Olaf. A, like an empty vessel. There's nothing between the ears. It's just like all empty. So. Wow. I mean, that's an amazing story. Um, has, there in, has there ever been anybody that wanted to turn it into a film? Uh, the Ed and Lorraine? Uh, they, you know, they keep doing the Conjuring movies. Uh. Uh, and Lorraine, actually, Lorraine Warren's my son's godmother. Oh, wow. Because when she was here, she became his godmother because he had to have a godmother. So she's my son's godmother. But we've never had any more contact with them. They were very nice people. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say anything against them. Uh, they couldn't help us. It wasn't their fault. Um, but yes, there's going to be something made about it. They're already working on the screenplay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Do you do you do you get any uh, amazing story? Do you get any say on who gets to play you? 
Soto. <laughs> I just, you know what? I just went, I had this bottled up inside for so many years, for mm -hmm. like 20, 25 years, right? And mm -hmm. it was like, to just be able to tell people, because when it was happening, I wanted to say, can't we just tell people what's going on here? Can't we show them, you know, look, there's this thing writing to us on the mirror, and it's, it's intelligent, and it communicates. One time it took our, my father-in-law's truck, a truck. And he woke up the next morning, and the entity had put the truck in the middle of the, of the, of the street. He didn't start the truck. The truck was all locked, and it was out in the middle of the street. Wow. Huh. He, he could do amazing things. The, the, the spear that he brought, we took the next, I went into him and said, well, where did you get this? He said, I got it from the Belgian Congo. So we <laughs> went to, we went to, uh, no, he just said Congo. That's what he said. He just wrote Congo. So we went the next day to the Museum of History in Los Angeles. And we asked it to speak to someone to identify something. We showed him the spear. And yeah. the, the gentleman said, uh, this, is, this is like over 200 years old. He said, it looks brand new. He said, I never would believe it, but it's over 200 years old. He said it wasn't used for, for hunting. It wasn't used for warfare because of how it's sharpened. I can tell you that. He said this is probably used by a shaman or a, a, a medicine man to do ritual magic. Mm. And then he said to me, where did you get this? <laughs> and I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And so, and so we went back home, and he said it was from the Belgian Congo. And then Mr. Entity said he got it from the Congo. So it's, it's, it's an amazing spear. It's a, it's a magical antiquity. I mean, can you imagine having an afort? from the past that some a demon brings it's like unbelievable wow no i'm good i don't I, i'm good i don't need it <laughs> you imagine the museum guy if you would have told him oh my uh int it's like my uh demon intimate intimate friend just gave it to me <laughs> yeah of course he wanted us to do something with it but <laughs> mr entity though after my father-in-law left mr entity would even bring me presents he brought me all kinds. I love rocks, and I don't mean like diamonds and rubies. I just like rocks. And he would bring me all kinds of rocks and stones. And then he started bringing me. One time we went to one of the magic stores to try to find somebody to help, and there was a pyramid because he loved triangles. There was a pyramid made in jade. It was like $200, and I remember saying to my husband, that's so beautiful. And then we got home, and it was sitting on my sink, and he said, here's a present for you. I'll bring you more. So he used to bring me presents. It was it was the strangest time. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. I think back on it now, and it's like, wow, this was like. I just wish at the time, we could have got more people involved to see that this really exists. So when I got the opportunity, when my husband passed away and my mother-in-law passed away, mm -hmm. to actually tell people about it, it's like I wanted to just grab people and say, sit down and listen to this, because it. I mean, I never. You see all these these monster movies and these demons. And there are these vulgar, crazed demons. And then here was this being, this evil being, who he was evil, but he was also intelligent. And it's like, it's unbelievable to be able to communicate with it. Unbelievable. Yeah. And you, the photos in your book are just amazing. Um, I oh, yeah. have discovered, I discovered quite by accident one time, I have a a sort of sensitivity when it comes to photos uh-huh and i found some things in your photos you know every time every once in a while i'd look at a photo and something would feel wrong with me uh -huh. and i i would blow it up 
Now, I'm going to try to do something here, which I usually screw up, but I'm going to try sharing screen. No. Okay. Don't do it. <laughs> All right. So here we have, if you can see it, uh, the picture of your father-in-law. I'm not right, getting a you're I not getting that, a picture. Oh, I see I it now. Oh, now I see it. Yes. Yeah, that's my father. Okay. Right. And uh, seems, there, I mean, there seems to be nothing unusual about the picture at all. Mm -hmm. But when I started to blow it up, I noticed that behind his shoulder there, we got a triangle. Yeah, Just for no reason. No reason for that to be there, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, and uh, here's here's your husband and your 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 son Jamie. Right. This was this was years later. That was just the only picture I had of them together. This was back, mm -hmm. yeah, later in the nineteen Oh wow. Okay. Well, then I, I I hope this isn't going to disturb you much. Oops, I don't know. That was too much. Go back. Yeah, I gotta go back. Previous view. There we go. But the glare on the top button in particular is a triangle with a tail. Oh, yeah, I see that. That's very strange. Yeah, and that, you know, that, that really... Uh, bothered me because I, I could tell from Jamie's age that this was obviously quite some time later that that picture was taken so uh, I hope I hope it doesn't mean anything you know but uh, it just there was something that made me stop and look at that picture and now here's one this is the one where it seemed like the uh, entity was trying to pretend to be your mother-in-law's sister, right? Because she used the nickname Nini. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I was looking to see if there were any triangles hidden in it, and you see there's the the three like like robes or tiles or whatever hanging in the background. But I began I, I felt something about this picture, and I began to blow it up. And I'm wondering if perhaps it actually was her sister because suddenly that robe in the middle looks a lot more like an angel to me. Uh, I don't think so because he want, he didn't want us to go into the, the attic. That's when, when he first came mm. here, that's where he went. And he didn't want us going in there at first. So he would tell us, don't go in there. If it had been her sister, she would have said, there's a wire in there that needs repairing. Get it taken care of so there's no fire. He didn't. He said, stay out of the room because there could be a fire. So I don't believe it was, ah. it was Mr. Entity just trying to keep us out of that room. Can okay. You, can, you do well, us, can you do us a favor, uh, Arpo? Can you get some steals yes. of those and, um, and add it to the comment section? Yes, I will. Thank yes. you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Also, in regards to that room that you said that you had designated for the entity, have you since uh, ever gone back in there in terms of changing anything around or 
Do you know, when Mr. Entity left, uh, my mother-in-law, we all stayed together for like another two years, even after he left, because it was always like you were waiting for the other shoe to drop. You were waiting for him to come back. Yeah. And it took it took years before we actually separated again and started to live, try to live a normal life. And my mother-in-law, believe it or not, eventually went back upstairs and moved back in her bedroom. Nice. Yeah. So she, she was sure. We were sure Mr. Entity was gone. So, but it took many years. But finally she, my mother-in-law had a deep, deep belief in God. And she knew he'd never abandon her. So she, she went back up there. So you, you guys dedicated a room to him? No, no. The the lady that came, Dr. Evelyn Pagani, wanted us to. We never right. did. Well, he should have paid. He should have at least paid rent. Said, no, we're not going to dedicate a room and pay him homage. Yeah, he should have. Yeah, he should have paid rent for that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> for real, man. This is an amazing story, though. Uh, and the fact that you are, you seem like a very well-adjusted, uh, regular person. After going through all of that, what I mean, what has been the thing that kept you tethered to not being uh, going insane? I think it was because I knew I had to like be the one that protected my family. It was like I had to be there for them. I didn't have time to worry about things. Mm. Wow. So have you ever had anybody who's going through the same thing reach out to you for for uh... you know, not, not really. And, you know, it's very strange because because we, we just started talking about this lately. I always wondered, I would like anyone that was like a real paranormal investigator to come to look at the sphere, to look at the pictures. I never had any answers. I don't know what Mr. Entity was. I don't know what the, the symbols meant, all those things. I would love someone to investigate and give me some answers. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I would just love to know what he was. Mm. Okay. One, one last question uh, on, the, on the pictures here. And then I'm going to go back to normal screen. But um, you were staying at a motel. And you woke up in the morning. Uh, uh, your in-laws were in the other room screaming and yelling. You went over. Talcum powder had been spread all over everything. And there were footprints. Right. There and was I, was wondering, I was wondering, were they anything like the impression in this carpet here? That these dark spots are making. You know, I really can't. I three Blair, I really can't see. That they were a very strange footprint. It was like almost like a, a hoof type, but after the the hoof was like the middle, and then there were like you could see like talons, like like t big nails came out and made like marks. And mm -hmm. I and the it, it was right from right from the powder and it went right out the door up the side of the wall. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that that to me was was just a very frightening uh let's uh get me back to a regular stop sharing there we go yeah that was that was a very frightening part of the book that uh it would manifest itself in such a public place right we were we were in a hotel it was like a that had little little cottages my mother-in-law and father-in-law, this was the first time in a long time my mother and father-in-law and my husband and I had been apart to sleep for the night. They went in their little cottage. My husband and I with the, Jamie went in the other little cottage. So that was the first time we had been apart for a long time. 
So in that morning when she came pounding on the door telling us, come, we had to see. And up until that point, when we went away for that week weekend, he had been quiet. He hadn't done anything. So that was the first thing he did. What do you think the hardest part has actually been for the with the adaptation of it? It's like uh, now that, think that life is normal, what's been the hardest part for you? The hardest part portraying what's, what went on? Yeah. Well, revisiting it. I, I'll tell you what I can. If this book or whatever it is had been talked about by my mother-in-law, it would have been done on a completely different perspective because she was frightened. So she, when I wrote my, the book, Unwelcome, I really started out wanting to show people the pictures because the pictures are amazing. And then I ended up writing just what happened because I wanted people to know what really happened. But I wrote it from a perspective where I wasn't frightened. So some of the things that happened in that book were, were terrifying. But to my, my husband, my mother-in-law, but to me, they weren't. So I had to portray them how I felt them and I saw them. Someone else could have wrote that book and made it a very scary book. But I had to write it the way I felt it and the way I remembered it. And I wanted the truth. I wanted people to know what happened to me. So I portrayed it the way I felt it. But just like in, in, in the movie version, in the screenplay version, also, it's hard because so much happened. I mean, it was like every day, morning to night, year, year after year after year. How can you put that all in a movie? You can't. So you have to pick and choose and you have to manipulate things. And it's very hard because when I re read the screenplay, I said, well, that didn't happen like that. It happened, but it happened over here. And then they tried to explain to me, you can't do it like that because you can't just have one thing after another happen. There has to be a break. So it's hard to read the screenplay because you want to put your two cents in and say, well, no, that's not quite right, but you can't. So that's what's hard. Yeah, time in, you know, when you're going from something that happened in a book to an actual screenplay and I actually spoke to a screenwriter about this about another book that was that was a true story yep. and he said you know what's difficult is you want to be as true as possible to the material but what works in a book isn't going to work in a movie right. you have to compress time you have to combine characters sometimes Right. You know, you, 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 you had dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people coming in to help you. Um, some of them might get combined into, you know, might get five combined into a single character simply because they they just don't have that kind of freedom in a film. Right. And it also has to follow a progression that A, the audience can follow, and B, gives the audience a chance to breathe once in a while, especially in a story like yours. Right, I understand that. But it is hard when you're reading it to not say, well, no, that's not... Oh, yeah. oh yes! <laughs> well, you know, one scene... particular instance I'm talking about, I had read the book and went to see the movie and got a chance to talk to the screenwriter after the movie, and I said, why did you change all of this? It was, you know, it was like this in the book, and I loved the book, you know. Uh -huh. And you know, he, he, well, he, he had a very nice little. We only had, he only had like fifteen minutes to talk to me, but he imparted so much knowledge in that fifteen minutes that it was, uh, I could barely absorb it all. But everything that he said, you know, I began to see it made sense. Sometimes, you're representing something symbolically, that took an entire chapter to explain. Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. 
Well, the yeah. one scene that you have to have included into the uh, the film is uh, the part when you go on the uh, Movie Time podcast and you talk to us. Uh, I can't wait for that <laughs> that part to pop up in the film. <laughs> I want Richard Gere to play me. You want Richard Gere? Uh, uh, Richard Gere, what? <laughs> Hilarious. No, we're the we're 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 the, the the lowest point of the totem pole in this whole story. We're just <laughs> we're just here because uh I I won't speak for the others. I believe they are like me. I happen to be a very strong believer in the paranormal. I have had paranormal things happen to me. And I appreciate very much the uh, atmosphere of terror that you had to have lived through for eight years and the strength of will that it took to get through something like that. And I admire you for that. Thank you. So, also, what is going to be future projects for you, uh, Deborah? Once uh, now that this book is uh, out there, so what's happening with the book, and also, uh, well, not only the fact that it's going to be a movie, but further on from that, as well as also, what is the next project up on the blocks for you? You know what? I really don't know. It's like one step at a time. I want to get this this done, and then we'll see what the next step is then. But I'm really putting all my energy into what's going on now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, so with the collaborative process, you are allowed a little bit of insight into what they are going to do with the physical book, but not quite having a contribution. Right. Yeah. Now, what is it that you would want to not see if you did have any kind of artistic control over it? I don't want to see things that didn't happen put into the book, put into the movie. I want to show, I think there's enough things that were terrifying to show without having to put something that wasn't real in it. Exactly. And, 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 and by the same token, although I greatly admire the work that Ed and Lorraine Warren did in their lives, uh, they are not the people that in the end really solved this, this whole problem. And my big fear when I heard this being made into a movie, I said, oh, please tell me it's not going to be The Conjuring 3. <laughs> because The Conjuring 2, they were covering the uh, the Enfield haunting, right. uh, the Enfield poltergeist in England. Uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren were there for one day. Was that And the movie, yeah, they were there for one day. And the movie really made it look like, you know, gosh, they swept in and saved that family, you know? And it's like, no, that isn't how it happened. Yep. Well, that, well, in an alternate universe, uh, <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> it kind of sucks for them because they've done it's wonderful fact. work. It's those alternative facts. Right. <laughs> they've done such wonderful work. I hate the fact that they got to shoehorn them into something that they weren't in, you know. Rather than just yeah. going, doing the truth, you know. Yeah, you know, it's like can't they just cover the great work that they did do? I mean, they they've blown Annabelle all not necessarily all out of proportion, but like they've made like two movies about it now, and neither one of them has really stuck to the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm leave Annabelle alone. I love Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> Now, 
on uh, on the subject though, uh, just as a kind of interesting thing that I, w- I was wondering is what do you feel that, and I know that there's a lot of things that happened during the time that, uh, what was the worst thing that you feel that that entity had ever done? The worst thing, which I yeah. don't like to talk about, I kind of like to try to forget the, are killing our animals. I like to just, I don't like to even think about it. Because yeah. it, it was horrible. I don't even like to think about that. I don't even want that any of that in the in the movie at all. I just... Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there, there was the one, the one uh, paranormal per, uh, psychic or medium, whatever, who apparently managed to put Mister Entity into. Yeah, he. One of was, your dogs. Those were the Native Americans. When, yeah. when they, after they had him upstairs and they came down, they, and the, and the dog came upstairs all by himself, went to the to the gentleman, and was stood right in front of him, and he was. The dog, they were, he was talking to the dog and the lady, Native American, was talking to me and then she came down when we were, they were saying goodbye and said, we put him in the dog we couldn't get rid of him, he's too powerful, he's too strong but we put him in the dog and that may give you a short time to try to find somebody to help you and I remember saying, well don't do that, I don't want him in the dog I don't want anything to happen to the dog and she said it has nothing to do with you, the dog gave us permission whether he was in the dog or not, I don't know but during this time, everything stopped. When the dog died, everything started back up again. Wow, that yeah. is just. But but I I I know how you how it had to have been out because my sister and brother-in-law woke up to a similar tragedy with one of their dogs being in the swimming pool, and that uh, is a horrible discovery to wake up to. Yeah. And I I feel for you very much. Uh, that such a horrible thing could happen. I can certainly not understand you not wanting to remember it or talk about it in detail or certainly not wanting it in the film. Yes. Yeah. Which is perfectly understandable. Regardless of that yes. situation. So, uh, it's like, what, uh, you know, it's like, if that, uh, we know now that at least for the last 25 years that the entity has been uh, gone it's like um with a lot of uh, with a lot of them it's like to them uh, did he just believe that he was constantly in that era though as well was he of the belief that it, you know that this was the century that he was in or did I he don't, realize that I, you know it's a present day i think he knew it was the present day because he would tell me of different decades and different uh, centuries of things that happened that he was involved in so, I knew. I think he knew where he was time-wise. I think he knew what year it was, what the, what the present was. I tell you how it was. It got to the point. One time we were. This is how we would even communicate. We were going to go to see a fireworks show, and I remember my husband said, "Well, we'll go tonight to see it." And Mr. Entity wrote on the mirror, "The fireworks aren't tonight. They're tomorrow." So I mean, he would listen to every single thing we said and comment on it. Did you ever just yeah. tell him to shut up? <laughs> like I don't need your commentary, Mister Entity. Did you ever say that? Did I what? Did you ever just tell him I I don't need your uh, commentary, Mister Entity? Shut up. You know what? I always treated him with respect because mm. I knew how powerful and dangerous a being he was. Mm. And like you said, your talking with him seemed to divert his energies towards writing on the mirror. 
and away from harming your mother-in-law, which was the main, most important thing. Right. You know, it's very funny. Living through this, I almost think if he was a demon, they must actually have a code that they must, rules they have to go by. Because he was so powerful, at any time he wanted to kill my mother-in-law, he could have just snapped her neck or pushed her down the stairs and killed her. But I don't think he was allowed to. I think he, he was trying to force her in to commit suicide, or when he couldn't do that because she was so had too strong a belief in God, he tried to influence my father-in-law to kill her. So I don't think he actually, there must be some type of rules they live by that he actually couldn't take the life. He could influence her to take her own life or have someone else do it. It, it, it depends on, on, on how they are originally, initially called into being, which, of course, is something we'll never know because, you know, it was back five, six, seven hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know, you know, but there, yeah, there are restraints or constraints when you summon a demon that you are I'm, I'm I'm from Chicago so I'm very familiar with uh, with that particular uh, Satan group there you know I, I read quite a bit about them and about demonology mm-hmm. uh, but yeah they, there are certain constraints that are placed that the demon cannot break no matter what and obviously one of the constraints was you can't physically kill a person but the agreement was you know, will kill someone for you to help feed your strength. Mm-hmm. And that could be the reason why he was so insistent that something had to be done with Lee, that she, you know, she had to be sacrificed you know, or a blood ritual in some way. Yeah, he, uh, he might have been weak, been getting weak when he was with you for eight years. Oh, the things that he could do didn't give me that impression. <laughs> no, probably not, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think he's... Uh, do you think he's still out there somewhere? Uh, I would think so. I would think he's somewhere. I mean, have you ever, like, tried trolling uh, the Internet, uh, various sites, talking about uh, demonic things over the past few years to see, you know, say, oh, hey, that sounds like Mr. Entity. Do you know I haven't because it's like I just, it's best left undone. You know, it's best just, I went through it. I don't want to bring it back anyway. I don't want to know any more about it, other than I want to know why he really did come, who he was. But I don't want to know what he's doing now. I don't want to get involved again. I mean, I want my family to be safe. I want to stay yeah. safe. Do the kids yeah, have, I can understand. Sorry, yeah, do go the, ahead. Uh, do the kids have a different perspective also on this as well? Do no, they have a lot of recall? No, because when they were... Jamie was a baby when it was here. Jessica and Jessica... We're only here for the last two years while it was here. So they were young enough that they have no recollection of him at all. Okay. And actually, until my husband died and we, I found the pictures, they never even knew the story. I never, we never even told them about it. So I, before I wrote the book, because I wanted them to know what happened, and I wanted them to know if, if they wanted me to be able to tell the story, because if they didn't want me to, I wouldn't have. But I yeah. wanted to, and they heard the story, and they said, well, yeah, people should know that things like this do exist, that it's real. I said, you know, half the people aren't going to believe me. They're going to think I'm nuts. And they said, well, the one part that does, at least they'll know. So they decided, yes. So, And I loved, I, I'm telling you, I love telling people what happened. I think it was because I couldn't for so long that I just liked telling people about it. 
Yeah. Do you get do you get a lot of negative feedback from the anti paranormal community? Uh, you know, I kind of stay away from everything. I do interviews. Um, I have a friend that takes care of the Facebook, and if there's a question, I'll answer it. But I stay away from everything. Wait a minute. There's a pro paranormal community. A what? There's a pro paranormal community. I. Uh, yes. <laughs> Very much so. Like yes. they're pro ghosts. There are more. There are more people who believe in the paranormal than there are that don't. No, no. There's people that believe in it, but are there people that are like pro ghosts? That's a big difference. And well, yeah. In some cases, I mean, uh, many times a ghost is nothing more than a, a spirit that doesn't realize it's dead and needs help. A ghost sounds like a freaking freeloader to me. Well, they're they're actually uh, quite uh, interesting in regards to it. It's like, and when they try to communicate with you, it's like uh, I was fortunate to have one uh, that tried to communicate with me. It's like um, uh, the sad part is, is that because I could not understand the way that the mouth form was to understand what exactly the she was trying to say to me. But you know, it's like it, it was one of those, yeah, having interesting conversation face-to-face with uh, with her. and But she was trying to say something, and because of the fact that they do not have a mouth form, it's very hard. Maybe that's also why he used the mirror as well. Maybe. Because I, I never... Only one time did I ever hear him make any type of sound, and that was when the two ladies came that were amateurs at this. He was upstairs, and I heard him laughing. Other yeah. than that, I never, I never heard anything. He never, of course, we didn't use like they do now, where you go around with recorders or these voice box things. They didn't have those, the voice box things then. But no, that was the only time. Other than that, it was just his, his writing and his symbols. Did do and you, it, I was going to say before you decided to actually write the book and start talking about it? Did you? consider or think that maybe by you know writing the book and now possibly working on a, the screenplay that that might kind of bring him back to you no I know I know deep inside I know he will never bother me again he said goodbye okay. and he's, he's gone that's awesome yeah cool yeah that's cool well, uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with us. Um, uh, you know, it's a, an amazing story, and I'm I'm hope that the more that you talk about it, that you can help people that may be in similar situations. Uh, what can we be on the lookout for you coming up for uh, coming up soon? Uh, there'll be more interviews coming on the radios uh, in the next month, but uh, they can get the book on Amazon. Unwelcomed. Um, I hope, one of the reasons I, I wanted to do the movie also, if you watch movies nowadays, the things that have to do with the paranormal, it always seems at the end, evil wins. It's yeah. always that, that last hit that evil comes back. I wanted people to know that are going through things like this, you can win. It, evil doesn't have to win. Sometimes good wins too. So I wanted people to know that not, right. not to give up, to just keep right on fighting because you can win. Absolutely. Right. Also, yes. do, 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 yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, before you get to, uh, you're, you're going to do more radio interviews and stuff, 
at some point uh do you think that you would actually kind of hit the convention circuits uh, you know because there's a lot there's you know several there's different paranormal con- uh, conventions and things where there's a lot of you know psychics that get together mm-hmm. and things is that something that you might uh yeah that's uh, something I, I have contemplated it's just a little bit more uh, in the future like i said one step right. at a time i want to get this done first and then we'll go to the next step and and hopefully if I go, you do I go to that one. I just want to say, hopefully, if you do that, you won't run into one of the psychics that proved to be a charlatan in your case, because uh, that could be a little embarrassing. Oh, I've met many. <laughs> well, because I, I I try I do a lot. I go to different conventions and things, and there's a couple of them that are the horror, uh, the horror and paranormal conventions. And it's like it would be, it's like it, if you ever if you ever get to where you're going to start doing them. You know, please let us know, and, and and as when you're you get closer to your like the screenplay when it comes out and stuff, you know you know let us know. We'd be love to uh, uh, you know talk to you again about it. Well, thank you very much, and I've enjoyed meeting you all. And let me say, anytime you're in Southern California and you'd like to come and see the pictures in the sphere, I have it in a bank vault, but I'll gladly let you see everything and explain the whole story in, in person. I live in Los Angeles. I live in Los Angeles, actually. Yes, 40 miles from Los Angeles, but mm-hmm. you're all welcome to come. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, and how can, and how can we... Yeah. Uh, Deborah, how do people yeah. get you on social media? Pardon? How do they get you on social media to be able to ask you questions? Uh, they can go to the website, um, a deadly haunting slash unwelcome. You can just put a deadly haunting. And I have a lady that runs that, and she filters all the questions to me and anything. Anybody would like to know, I, I gladly answer anything. Oh, fantastic. You know, I, I'm open to, I'll tell you, all I can say, I'll tell them to the best of my ability. I'm not an expert, but I lived, I lived through it. And all I can do is share that with them. Well, that's that's more they, than a lot of people can do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. No, thank you for being, uh, for being here. And thank you, uh, and say thank you to Steve also for arranging all of us. Yeah, that's Steve Verduffy. Make, make sure I said his name yeah. on, on, on the site. Yes, I promise Steve we would say his name too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we'll be talking really soon with Steve. And, uh, oh, like that, uh, very, very soon. Uh, yeah, it's like he, Kathy and I are uh, all doing our talks and stuff. Mm-hmm. He speaks very highly of you both. Fantastic. No, it's like he didn't realize that it's like I wanted to make sure I read the whole entire book because I was like, I'm not going to not be versed when I'm mm-hmm. talking to you on the phone. Yeah, because it's kind of a long story. Well, and it's I'm kind not- of a long story, but, but I just want to let people know, buy the book, read the book. I'll tell you what, it will pull you in so quickly. I read the book in two nights. Yeah. I was I was just so pulled in by the story and by what happened and the fact that this was all true, and he had the photographic evidence to back it up. Uh, I just, uh, it's an amazing book. Thank you. And I hope that it becomes a successful movie as well. I hope so too. And so, also, Arpo, how do we get you in social media? Uh, well, you you can get it through the website also. Deborah Moffat Facebook. Okay. Go through there. There's also a Deadly Haunting Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of covered on everything. Nice. All right. 
and I welcome people to, to contact me. Sounds good. They probably so will. We have a large, large group of people on here that uh, do. All right. So, Arpo, how can uh, Arpo? How can people get you in social media? Uh, people can reach me uh, socially on Facebook. If you want to do business with me, go to LinkedIn. Uh, I've been known to haunt the forums on the movies underground. And if you just want to chat with me, by golly, just reach me on Skype. But make sure you tell me that you are a fan or listener of Movie Time. Because I do get a lot of unwanted proposals for marriage from Armenian women. And, uh, People laugh at that. But what did our guest Wednesday night say? Mm-hmm. So Tracy, what did he say? He was like, you too? <laughs> so it's not just me, gang. And, uh, and what is your uh, profile on Tinder? <laughs> don't have one. Well, don't want one. Well, how do we get you on social media? Well, you can stalk me on both Facebook and Twitter at Olaf Barbosa. But as I always say, don't stalk too close because I do get nervous and I do have an itchy trigger finger. Kente, how do we get you on social media? You can get me at Kente F on Twitter, and you can go to our website, IndyRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. Fantastic. And you can get me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Bizipedia, on Twitter at MovieTimeIndy, at uh, Sonata Grayson, on Facebook under uh, uh, under my Facebook page. Also, you can get uh, on there on the MovieTime page, also on Facebook as well. You have www.pastlivesproductionsinc.net. And like I say, if you can't find me, you're not stalking me hard enough with three pages of the footprint. Mm -hmm. We are all over social media. And please feel free to listen to any of us on iHeartRadio as well as also any of the other 12 stations that podcast us as well. All right. And, of course, our YouTube page for Movie Time as well. And please join us again on Wednesday when we have another uh, incredible guest that will be uh, coming in there aboard with us. And thank you, Deborah, again so, so much. And we look forward to everybody coming and seeing us again. Take care. Thank you. And wait, wait, wait.